Lord Jesus, we bow before you. The lion of the tribe of Judah, the spotless lamb of God, the high king of heaven, and our high priest. We bow before you and you alone. Because you alone are God, you alone are Savior, you alone are our Lord. And as we bow our heads before you in worship this morning, we would bow our hearts and our lives asking that as we open your word, you would speak what your spirit would say to us as your church today. Help us to have ears to hear and lives that respond. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to remind you in your bulletins, if you picked up a bulletin, there's a little note this morning about a church family lunch and prayer next Sunday, immediately after the second service in the high school gym. We'll be having lunch together. We would encourage you to stay and have lunch. We'll spend, there will be tables there explaining all of the fall opportunities so that you can ask any questions, people to answer any questions about opportunities for involvement this fall. And then we're going to spend a little bit of time at that luncheon in small groups praying for our church as we step into our fall programming. So I'd encourage you to be a part of that to plan on next Sunday, spending a little bit of time with your family of brothers and sisters in Christ right after the worship service. This morning, we open our Bibles to Hebrews chapter 10, beginning with verse 26, as we work our way through this very rich book in Scripture. This is a passage that you may never have heard a pastor preach from because we as pastors try to avoid it. It's a difficult passage. In our devotions at home, when we read this passage, it causes us to pause. And that's for a reason. The Holy Spirit has placed this here because it's necessary for us. And hard places in Scripture should not be places that we avoid. So this morning, we want to read this passage, remembering the context. Hebrews chapter 1, Jesus is creator of everything and high king of heaven. And then the author of Hebrews unpacks for us how this high king of heaven made himself like unto us and was uh, tempted in every way just like us without sin. He offered one singular sufficient sacrifice for our sins. He is now the high priest in heaven, representing us before the Father. He is high king and high priest. All of this that we have learned about Jesus causes us to respond. And in verse 19, where we started two weeks ago, we were reminded that we need to respond to this truth about Jesus. There are three things we should do. Verse 22, we should draw near to, to God with a true heart, clear conscience, and a life that is changed, bodies that are washed, a life that is changed. Verse 23, we hold fast to the confession of our faith. We openly share our faith with others. Verses 24 and 25, we consider one another. We consider the fellowship of believers, and we don't stop meeting together because it's 
This is the body of Christ. Then we come to verse 26. If you'd follow along as I read, verse 26, for if we go on sinning deliberately, after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, for a fear, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sacrificed, he was sanctified, and has outraged the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. The question we have to ask is, who is he speaking to? This letter has been written to Jewish believers, people who were raised and steeped in the Jewish faith and may have had a tendency in this second generation to go back to their Jewish heritage and try to hold on to that old Jewish custom. And the Spirit of God is saying, no, everything is centered in Jesus. All of that Old Testament prophecy was pointing to Jesus. Do not go back to where you were. These are people who are in the fellowship of believers, who most certainly think they are part of the church, that they think they are believers, and they are told it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. You see, our choices matter. Decisions that we make matter. What we believe is revealed by our behavior that's why he begins in verse 26 saying, if we go on sinning deliberately, even though we have received the knowledge of the truth, what we believe is revealed by how we behave. Behavior exposes our true belief. These individuals that are being addressed here are called God's adversaries. Did you pick that up? The end of verse 27, they are in danger of judgment, the fury of fire that will consume the adversaries, adversaries of God. And yet these people are a part of the fellowship in the church. So God's message to these early believers is certainly his message to the church in the United States today and to each one of us in this room today. Hard words are here for a reason. So let's walk through this passage as well as we can, asking the Holy Spirit to help us to understand. I'm going to pray again one more time because this is a, a difficult passage, and then let's unpack it. Lord Jesus, by your Spirit, whom you have given, 
I pray that I would say nothing that you have not said, but that I would say what you have said, that you would give us ears to hear and lives that respond. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Who are these adversaries of God? Well, they are in the church. They're part of the fellowship. They might be in and out, but they certainly consider themselves to be believers. They consider themselves to be Christians. Verse 26, they have a knowledge of the truth. That phrase means that they have heard the truth, have understood the truth, and probably have accepted the truth. Now, how could somebody have heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, have understood the gospel, have accepted the gospel, and still be an enemy of God? How is that even possible? Well, mental assent without life change is the same, according to this verse, verses 26 and 27, as active aggression against God. I've heard, I believe, that what I've heard is true, but my life doesn't change. James put it this way in James chapter 2, verses 18 and 19. I will show you my faith by my works. Behavior reveals belief. You believe that God is one, you do well, but even the demons believe, and they shudder. Do be demons believe? James says they believe. Read through the Gospels. Mark chapter 3 is one example, verse 11 and following. Jesus confronts demons. What do demons say? You are the Son of God. They believe. They know who he is, and they beg him not to send them away. They shudder in his presence. They believe that Jesus is the Son of God. They believe that he is all-powerful. They are not saved. What the Spirit of God is saying is there can be people in the church who believe the truth about who Jesus is, all of this that we've studied in those first 10 chapters of Hebrews, they believe that he is the Son of God. They believe that he came to earth. They believe that he died for their sins. They know it. They have understood it. They have accepted the knowledge of the truth. But, verse 26 says, they go on sinning deliberately. Their lives haven't changed. Hebrews begins with the supremacy of Jesus, chapter 1. It tells us that he is the Lamb of God, and then true believers, if he is the supreme God and the Lamb of God, believers who ask them to take Jesus to take their sins away, acknowledge him as the supreme Lord. And life changes because we submit our lives to him being able to articulate the gospel, 
being able to have our doctrine all right and even tell others right doctrine is not the same as salvation. Salvation is repentance for sin, begging Jesus to forgive us, and then turning to Him as Lord and walking in obedience to Him. Salvation is a regeneration of ourselves, making us new, and we don't do that. The Holy Spirit does that for us. We can play a game really well. I don't know if any of you have ever come across someone in your life who was a pathological liar, so much so that they believed their own life. I see a few heads nodding. Inel and I knew a man in Uganda who came from Denmark. He showed up in our town short, uh, several years after we had gone there. He was sent by an agency in Denmark to, to take over a hospital, government hospital that was defunct in our area, it had completely fallen apart. The government was going to send some doctors there. This Dr. Lee was his name, was going to oversee like the, doc, like the, the administrator of the hospital. Dr. Lee loved to tell everyone what to do and how to fix this hospital up. But Dr. Lee was not a doctor. He had falsified all of his documents. He had not finished high school. He was a wanted criminal in Denmark. That's why he had run away. And his pattern of life could not be hidden for long. He was wanted in Denmark for dealing drugs. He continued to deal drugs in Africa. He got involved with the wrong people. And within two years, he went back to Denmark in a body bag. But he had everyone convinced that he was Dr. Lee. There are Christians who call themselves Christians, who can convince everybody around them that they're Christians, but the patterns in their lives, the habits in their lives remain as if they had never come to Christ because they've never truly come to Christ. They know the doctrine, they know the words, they know what to say, but the Holy Spirit looks at their lives and says, you have not been regenerated because you still do the same things you always did and you just make excuses. This is just who I am. God understands who I am. Things have not changed. You see, if Jesus is high king, chapter 1, and he's high, our high priest, then when we come to him as our high priest for forgiveness of sins, we also come to him as high king. We don't separate those two. And our actions, our behaviors will change. If we go on sinning deliberately, if it's a pattern of the way of our life, the deliberate choice to live as we choose instead of submitting to the authority of God is inconsistent with true salvation. It actually exposes us to be enemies of God. When we consider, continue to sin, we know it is sin, this is not talking about a struggle against sin. This is not talking about falling into sin. This is not talking about a time when we were terrified and we failed. P 
Peter denied Jesus and was forgiven. 1 John chapter 1, verse 8 says, if we say we are not, we, that we don't sin, we make God out to be a liar. We need to confess our sins. So Christians sin. Please don't misunderstand. Christians sin, and we confess our sin and are forgiven. But people who continue in a pattern of sin, it's who they are. They may hide it. They may, dis, they may keep it under wraps. It could be what we would call big sins or what we would call white sins, little sins, respectable sins. If they are patterns of sins and we feel okay, this is just who I am, then the Holy Spirit says you need to examine yourself if you've even come to Christ. What kinds of sins might those be that are just patterns of sins that haven't changed? Well, let me just read a few examples from Romans chapter 1, people who have refused to accept God. Romans chapter 1, beginning with verse 29, he lists sins of people who know God, who they, they have seen the power of God, they have heard about God, but they refuse to accept Him. Beginning with verse 29, here's some of the lists he gives. Covetousness, malice, that's anger. Anger that doesn't necessarily show up, it's just deep down inside. Envy, murder. We would say, oh yeah, murderers, that, yeah. but what about strife? You're just always bickering with people. Deceit, maliciousness, gossips. People who live habitually gossiping about others have to ask themselves if they have been regenerated by the Holy Spirit. That's what the, that's what the Spirit is saying. Slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. They know God's righteous decree that those who practice these things deserve to die. They not only do them, they approve of those who practice them. There's another list in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning with verse 9. We're told that these people will not inherit the kingdom of God. Those who are sexually immoral or idolaters, that's not just bowing down to a golden or a wooden idol, it's anything that takes the place of God. Adulterers, men who practice homosexuality, thieves, greedy, drunkards, revilers, swindlers, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's what the Holy Spirit says. Now listen to the rest. And such were some of you, all of us, sinners. We're revilers. We're, we're adulterers. We're idolaters. We are thieves. That's who Jesus came to save. Such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. You were that you no longer are. Brothers and sisters, we are called to examine ourselves because there are people who would have all the right answers and yet they are not truly followers of Jesus. The writer of the Hebrews says in verse 26, if we go on sinning, that means all of us are included, all of us have to ask ourselves this question, even the one that the Holy Spirit was inspiring to write. Somebody who knows Jesus who knows what Jesus has done for them, 
but continues on in life as if they didn't know Jesus. The same habits, the same patterns as before. That person is now called an enemy of God. The preceding verses say, that person is not drawing near to God, verse 22. That person is not openly confessing their faith in Jesus in the light of persecution. That person is not gathering together regularly with the family of God, maybe because they're uncomfortable. They just don't like the kind of people who are in church. Those are evidences that they know the right truth, but they haven't believed. Salvation is more than knowledge. Salvation is a belief that results in life change. Belief is expressed by repentance and submission. Repentance to the Son of, before the Son of God and submission to Him as King of Kings. Listen to some of Jesus' words. They'll be on the screen. Jews claim to be the children of Abraham. We're the children of God. Jesus said to them, Matthew chapter 3, even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that doesn't produce good fruit is cut down, thrown into the fire. You can be a child of Abraham, but if you're not producing the right fruit, ready to chop you down. Be a, you could consider yourselves to be a child of God, but if you're not producing fruit in your life, then, the, then there's a question of the reality where your roots are. Matthew chapter 7, Jesus said, Every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can, it, can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them how? By their fruit. A life that has been submitted to Jesus Christ changes. It's not perfect. We have been saved. We are being saved. That change is happening, and we will be saved. But when there's no change, we can't be children of God. 2 Corinthians says this. The Spirit of God says to the church in Corinth, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new is come. Sometimes we read the first part of that verse and we leave out the second. We're a new creation. When we put our faith in Jesus, we ask him to forgive us for our sins. We become new. We are completely remade. The old has passed away. A, a new has come. Life must change. And so he says, there is no longer any sacrifice for sins. If the sacrifice of Jesus is rejected and we haven't bowed before him both as our Savior and as our Sovereign, there is no other sacrifice that we can get. These Jewish believers couldn't go back to the Old Testament way and find their way. Christian, So-called Christians today can't just go to church and give their offerings and get baptized and do good things and help the poor and think that's going to help them. It's only through Jesus, and when we put our faith in Jesus, everything begins to change. Those who reject the work of Jesus after knowing what he's done for them, they're literally described as the adversaries of God in verse 27. So the Spirit of God said to the Corinthians at the end of that second book to them, examine yourselves 
to see whether you are in the faith. He's writing to people in the church. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test? He calls on Christians to examine themselves and test themselves. So we're going to pause for a moment. Tim and Sean are going to play a song of confession. And I'm going to ask each one of us, myself included, to test ourselves, to examine ourselves. The preceding verses said that true believers, having learned about Jesus, will draw near. Do you draw near? Do you have a clear conscience knowing that Jesus has forgiven you for your sins and your body is washed? That means your actions have changed. Is there evidence that your life is being transformed by the Spirit of God? Verse 23 said you would hold fast to the confession of your hope. Are you sharing your faith with others? Verses 25 and 26 said you would deep, deeply care about other believers. Are you deeply caring about the body of Christ? Are you not neglecting to meet together? Or finally, ask yourself this question. Do you continue practicing sin? Not just that you fall into sin. Christians will fall into sin. But do you practice it? Is it your way of life? And you feel like, well, it's okay. It's just who I am. Those who continue to practice sin deliberately after knowing the knowledge of the truth there is no more sacrifice for sin. Let's examine ourselves as Tim and Sean sing this song for us. To your grace I am a tater, to 
your love I hope my life while I was yet a sinner you died and paid my price to return my gaze back to you and fix my eyes on the author of truth focus my affections and emotions in the trust and the care As you pray, if you're struggling, Jesus died to forgive us, not to judge us. He offers forgiveness, and we come to him and truly beg of him to forgive us and to radically change us, to make our lives new. He begins that process. It is a process. None of us in this room are perfect. We will continue to fail. But when Jesus transforms our lives, we know that things have changed. We submit to him not only as our Savior, but as our Lord. Verse 28 said that in the Old Testament, if somebody turned away from Yahweh, from God, and began to follow other gods, he's quoting from Deuteronomy, that person was to be stoned. To turn away from God as one of God's people and then turn away and follow other gods. 
He says, how much worse is it for those who have heard the gospel of Jesus Christ and have turned away? He says that they have outraged the spirit of grace, the end of verse 29. How could the spirit of grace be outraged? Doesn't that seem like it doesn't fit? There is a vengeance of God, a vengeance of God that we often think just applies to unbelievers, and it does apply to unbelievers, but applies to people who are faking it as well. The vengeance of the God of grace. He is a God of grace. He is a God of love. He is a God of mercy. He sent Jesus. Jesus died for us. But the same Spirit who bestows grace on us when we put our faith in Jesus Christ is outraged when we reject the work of Jesus Christ and we reject his control over our lives. And we cannot possibly comprehend the heinousness of rejecting Jesus and his sacrifice. We make it too small of a thing. The description here is trampling him underfoot. That was the most vile thing that somebody could do in that culture to put your foot on someone. To profane the blood of the covenant treating Jesus' blood that was shed for us as just the blood like anyone else who died. His death was like anybody else's. That outrages the spirit of grace who wants to pour out his grace, but when we reject what Jesus has done. Brothers and sisters, to choose sin over the Son is to choose vengeance over God's vindication. To choose sin over the Son is to choose vengeance over God's vindication. God's vengeance is just and right. In Psalm 50, he said he would call heaven and earth to witness as he judged his people. Judgment begins with the house of God. And so these, these verses are here for us who are in this house to test ourselves, to make sure that we truly have trusted him. Amos writes this, God said through Amos, from among all the families on the earth, I have been intimate with you alone. That's why I must punish you for your sins. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. His hands protect us, support us, save us when we put our faith in him. But if we play games with God, we anticipate the fury of fire. Think of Lahaina in Hawaii, the fire flashing through that city so fast people couldn't escape. The fury of God's fire of vengeance. Just being in church, just doing good does not protect us from that. Only the blood of Jesus does. Salvation is so much more than knowing that Jesus is the Son of God. It is even more than knowing that he died for our sins. It is even more than knowing Jesus is the only hope of salvation. The demons know all of that. They tremble, and they will not be in heaven. Salvation is the work of the Holy Spirit within us, regenerating us, crafting us, grafting us into the vine so that we will produce food. When we confess and repent, 
We turn from idols, anything that takes precedence over God, and we turn to God. We openly, constantly draw near to Him. We confess our hope in Him. We gather with our new family. We produce fruit. If we go on sinning deliberately when we know the truth, there is no more sacrifice for sin. The only sacrifice is in Jesus. And when we trust Him, our lives will radically change. What we believe is revealed by how we behave. Lord Jesus, we bow before you. So thankful that you have died for us, the perfect Lamb of God. You offered one singular sufficient sacrifice for our sins. But you are also our sovereign. You are our high priest and you are our high king. Forgive us for playing lightly, thinking that if we just say the right prayer, just say the right words, everything's okay, we're going to go to heaven. You tell us to examine our lives and see if we have truly been transformed, and if not, to confess our sin, to repent, to turn to you, and to ask you to, turn, to completely change us, to regenerate us, to make us to be new creations in Christ. I pray that if there's anyone in this room today who has heard your spirit speaking, saying you have been playing games, you know the truth, but you have not been transformed, that you would help them to turn to you, to bow not only their mind, but their heart and their lives before you. We are so thankful for your forgiveness and thankful for the hope that we have, safe in your grip, when we put our faith in you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.